Well, welcome to another edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Good to have you along for the ride today um, and to be a part of what we're doing here on the Bottom Line, which is, well, just giving you information, giving you a chance to hear from people who have a lot of expertise. I love being in this seat every day <laughs> because it gives us the chance. Uh, I find all this stuff that is just so fascinating and amazing, and I get to share it with you. I mean, that's literally... Uh, one of the greatest joys I have. And it was, it was neat yesterday as we were kind of wafting, uh, wandering through the, um, the clip with, uh, uh, with Victor Davis Hanson talking about the middle class. It made me think about how much social media is not necessarily interactive, but if you've ever seen those, what they call reaction videos, those TikTok videos, those are videos where somebody's making a really great, important point. They're, they're sharing some kind of truth that's important to them or whatever. And then somebody else will do a split screen and they sit there and nod their head and point to what the other person's saying. And I'm going to be honest with you. Every time I see that, it makes me come out of my skin because I'm thinking, you're not doing anything. They did all the work. You're just going, mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and I've seen some where the people react to the reactions to the videos. You know, you've got quadrants up there. It's just, it's nuts. One of the things that I really love about what we're doing here on the Bottom Line Show is the fact that we'll bring something up. I give a chance to kind of, you know, provide a little insight to it. And then you contact us with an email or a phone call and react to it. Sometimes we do a call in. We're going to get into one call in next week about a pastor who opened up his property to the homeless and wound up getting fined because he didn't have all the paperwork worked out. And it kind of got me thinking, okay, well, are they going to be more upset uh, about, uh, you know, the whether or not the paperwork's done or the fact that they're helping homeless people come off the street? And I think there's a biblical answer for it. We'll get into it next week. But uh, uh, thank you to everybody who called in yesterday. Uh, Michael called in from Lake Forest. Uh, he was one of our book winners and uh, was talking about his relationship with Preborn. And Michael, I'm so grateful that you have uh, been blessed and are in the situation where you've been able to uh, provide uh, opportunities for people in these preborn clinics to uh, get ultrasound machines and have ultrasounds done. And I want to encourage and even challenge bottom line listeners as well. We have a standing offer on the table right now from Dennis Wilson at Wilson Financial Services. Wilson uh, puts their money where their mouth is. If you go to their website, you'll see the different uh, nonprofits that they do, in fact, support. And I encourage you to call Wilson and uh, 800-696-9970 and set up a no-cost consultation with uh, Dennis and the team. It's so very important that we are good stewards with the resources to which God has entrusted to us. And um, I, I know that there are people who listen to the bottom line show who are in a position to say, hey, look, Dennis put up $7,500 for an ultrasound machine. I want to put up 7,500 as well. And then boom, there's $15,000, another ultrasound machine at a preborn clinic. And it's just that simple. So I'm asking you today, we've got Dennis's match in place. We've used about a third of it so far, but there's still a good $5,000 left on that match. And I would challenge you if you're in a position today to Pick up the phone and call 833-850-BABY or go to kbrightradio.com and make that one-time donation. Make $2,500 gift or a $5,000 gift, $500 gift, $100 gift. Let's use up that last $5,000 of Dennis's match today. Uh, 833-850-BABY is the number to call. Uh, during this hour, we're going to look at things that are addictive. We're going to look at things that in the culture, uh, even Christians fall victim to. 
and we're going to have a conversation about why it is that people do uh get into addictive situations. Going to have an expert joining us here for the next half hour to talk about uh, understanding and helping those caught in the grip of addiction. But before we get started on a more lighthearted note, I want to talk about a new addiction that a lot of people have in this culture, and that is pickleball. You heard right, pickleball. Now, are you familiar with this? Um, We used to, what we used to call paddleball, I think it was, you know, people would go you know to the beach for example and they'd have these two wooden paddles and plastic ball and they'd hit the ball back and forth now i come from a family where we played tennis my mom my dad my sister my brother we all played tennis and it was a lot of fun and then i got married got divorced met lisa we started dating find out that her daughter taylor was a competitive division one ncaa college tennis champion two years in a row prairie view a and m way to go t and met her husband at Prairie View. He was a top men's player. Uh, you know, they, they were, tennis is our sport. Over the years, what we've seen is, you know, we would go out on the tennis court and the pickleball courts were full, but the tennis courts, we were the only ones playing. Now, when you get right down to it, pickleball has become a very popular sport, largely because the New York Times wrote last September, anyone can play this. You need an open space, a net, a ball. It's kind of like badminton in that sense. You don't necessarily have to have a court, but it does help if you do have a court. And it's become extremely popular. Um, case in point, the uh, <laughs> there's a major league pickleball now. I, I kid you not. In 2019, the number of Americans playing pickleball was around 3.5 million. Not bad. By the end of this year, the number of pickleball players nationwide will be 2 point or excuse me, 22.3 million. Now, it seems like it's a lot of fun. It's considered a low impact sport. It's considered, you know, it's it's rather repetitive, you know, but you do use your shoulder a lot more than perhaps you think about it. And there's side to side movement that if you had an injury that hasn't been and you haven't been super active, um, well, you could potentially uh, find yourself in the ER (laughs) or the doctor's office. But how much are people spending on injuries? Now, to be fair, the average age of the traditional pickleball player is over 60 years of age. The majority of people who are playing it right now are over 60. Uh, One doctor said, if we got an MRI on everyone over the age of 60, many of them would have some degree of meniscus tearing and it might not be symptomatic. And then all of a sudden you tweak your knee if you're out on the court. Maybe you used to do brisk walks, haven't been an athlete in 20, 25 years. And, you know, then there's the risk of injury. Now, be honest, I mean, let's face it, what we're seeing in the high school years, for example, is that more kids are going to the emergency room with injuries from competition cheerleading then from football or basketball, you get that little girl, they toss up in the air. I think they call that position the flyer and someone doesn't catch her. And next thing you know, she's got a concussion or she cracked a vertebrae or it's awful. But the whole idea that over the past four years, pickleball has grown exponentially in the number of players also means that there have been more and more people getting hurt. And The question is, well, is this a dangerous sport? On the surface, no, it isn't. Two people on one side, each holding a paddle. 
two people on the other side of the net, each holding a paddle. There's one ball. There's a little area, kind of a no man's land type of thing. The kitchen, I think they call it, where you can't step. But then you hit the ball back and forth. And it's like tennis, the sense that if you hit the ball in and the other player doesn't return it, then you get it. But with so many seniors playing it, it's, it's very interesting. I mean, I'm not chuckling because this is funny. It's just something that I had not realized. UBS tracks these types of things, and they estimate that the pickleball medical costs attributable to pickleball injuries in 2023 could be as low as $250 million dollars and it could be as high as half a billion. Joshua Dines, who is an orthopedic surgeon who specializes in sports medicine and shoulder surgery at the Hospital for Special Surgery, says the problem people are having with pickleball is that it's almost too easy to play. And so some people who haven't done anything for years said, well, I want to get back into sports and here we go. There is a guy who is the team doctor for uh, the New York Mets, New York Rangers, LA Dodgers, is now the medical director for Major League Pickleball. (laughs) Um, Pickleball is considered a low-impact sport. However, whether you're hiking or walking or playing pickleball, um, you could easily have a meniscus tear without even thinking about it. So if you are getting into pickleball, or if you've been playing it for a while, please understand, I'll be honest, I have a friend who works in the same industry as me, and he was a basketball guy for years and he loved playing tennis. He started playing pickleball, and I don't know how many times I see this post on social media. I started the day playing pickleball for two hours. I started the day for playing pickleball for three hours. I burned 3,000 calories playing pickleball. Exercise is good. Getting out and getting steps, good. But don't overdo it. I'm hoping that pickleball does not become an unhealthy addiction for people. (laughs) But nonetheless, take care of yourself, stretch, exercise, cross train, go for a bike ride, go to the gym, go for a walk in addition to playing pickleball. I'll put this article up at thebottomlineshow.com. Half a billion dollars potentially in medical injuries this year alone just from people playing pickleball. And I ain't never going to play it. Let's continue on the other side of this break, though, with an Everyone Wednesday story about people who do become addicted to things that might be your favorite fun sport. I mean, I I have had to kind of wean myself off of uh, the app for Scrabble. I love playing the game Scrabble. My wife introduced me to the online version about three years ago, right at the height of the pandemic, and I'm hooked. I love words. I love word origins. I like to see the way they spell. They intermingle with all the letters. I have to walk away from my phone sometimes. But that's a light problem compared to what other people are dealing with with regard to major addictions, drugs, alcohol, dependence on porn, gambling, workaholism, the internet, and more. Uh, Pastor and author Andy Partington is going to join me on the other side of this break. And we're going to talk about addiction and why it is that we in the body of Christ can be just as susceptible to this as people outside of it. He's written a book called Hope in Addiction, Understanding and Helping Those Caught in Its Grip. 
It's a powerful new book. I heard Andy was on with Neil Boron at WDCX a couple weeks ago. Wanted to have him come share with Bottom Line Show listeners. So on the other side of this break, Andy Partington talking about addiction, especially as it pertains to people in the community of God. We'll talk about that coming up next as the Bottom Line continues. There is an issue that's confronting the culture right now that has hit the church as well. And it's something that if we don't have an honest conversation about it, we really don't know how to deal with it. If you had a medical challenge, maybe a, a cancer or a medical diagnosis like I had several years ago where I required open heart surgery, it doesn't do us any good to avoid the problem. It doesn't do us any good to ignore uh, not only cries for help, but also uh, practical solutions. And especially here in the church, we can find hope in the midst of addiction. Uh, Andy Partington is with me today here on The Bottom Line. He's the author of a brand new book called Hope in Addiction, Understanding and Helping Those Caught in Its Grip. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Andy Partington, welcome to The Bottom Line Show. Hey, Roger, it's really good to be with you. Andy leads the work of the Novo Communities and Novo Adventures. Uh, their vision is to bring new life to individuals and, of course, peace to families and hope to communities that are gripped by addiction. Uh and you work with local teams in developing these kind of nations, if you will, to create transformational communities. And I love the way you describe that, Andy, because I, I think if we're all honest, every one of us has been touched somehow by addiction, whether it's personal story, someone in your family, someone in your church. Talk about how you got into this ministry in the first place. Mm, mm. So I was raised in rehab. Um, I arrived at the age of three and I left when I was 18 years of age oh, wow. because my parents were working in that field. So mm -hmm. actually, my parents went through a, a difficult time in, the, in their own relationship. Uh, and off the back of that, uh, my dad took a took a shift of career and got involved with a, a residential drug and alcohol rehab in the southeast of England, a place called Yeldor Manor. So in, in many ways, it was kind of in the bloodstream from from day one. Um, I grew up surrounded by guys who were in early recovery, got to see that it's possible, got to see that it's a it's a process with a lot of ups and, and lots of downs, um, and got to see just the extent to which community is such a driver of, of recovery. Um, so that's where it began for me. And then, you know, I, I left home, went to uni. Ten years later, I was pastoring down in, in Bolivia in, in a church down there in South America and really just felt God's call to me and to us as a family to start to, to just start to engage in this issue ourselves. It's amazing to think about your, I, I, you, you really had me and I was born in rehab because I mean, that's, that is a very compelling line and yet you're having a family history in this, going off to university. And I, I should say, Dr. Andy Partington, I mean, th this is a, a life's work for you that has an international feel, but the doesn't the world get smaller when we start talking about addiction? Mm. I, it really, it really does. And of course, I'm still in touch with lots of folk who I knew from those days and, and following their stories, following uh, the ups and downs of their of their recovery. Um, and yeah, it, it's amazing. I did not see myself in this same field. And yet, yeah, it seems like God has a different plan sometimes to the ones that we might expect Indeed. Dr. Andy Partington, my guest today here on The Bottom Line, we're talking about his brand new book called Hope in Addiction, Understanding and Helping Those Caught in Its Grip. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Typically, I think the church has done a, 
a lukewarm job, maybe a mediocre job. I mean, how would you rate the church in terms of how we've treated addiction up to this point? Every I mentioned, you know, at the, at the outset, everybody knows somebody who's been impacted by this, but it seems like if they got help, they got it somewhere other than the church. Mm. Should the church be pursuing this type of ministry? I, I think I think we should. Uh, I think I describe it in the book as being something of a side hustle. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's mm-hmm. in the culture at large, it's a huge issue. We all know someone, we're all caring and concerned about someone in addiction. And yet I think the church for us, it's always been a side hustle. It's it's been it's been subbed out to celebrate recovery, to rehabs, mm-hmm. to 12-step right. groups, to to that whole kind of world. And and yet I think our potential to be recovery addiction preventing and recovery promoting communities is is immense Mm. what's the barrier why why have we struggled because it feels overwhelming it's complicated it's Mm -hmm. messy and so we we hold back dr andy partington is the author of the book hope in addiction my guest today here on the bottom line as we discuss understanding and helping those caught in its grip. You can see the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. It's got nothing but five star ratings so far. Uh, Andy, I was thinking about my years in youth ministry and working first as a lay minister and then vocationally and understanding what it was like to minister to parents and to teenagers during what we would call, I guess, the purity movement, you know, where there were a lot of uh, big youth events and the big deal was, you know, the purity code or, you know, whatever it was going to be. And realizing now that it's kind of become a bust because it seemed like that was like a, uh, what's the best word for it? Like it was a one shot deal, you know, get the stiper all loaded up. We're going to go after sexual immorality. Boom. You put a ring on your finger and it's problem solved. And obviously that that's not a sustainable model and it wasn't for a lot of young people. And there's been a lot of backlash to that. I get the sense that for a lot of Christians, we take that same type of mentality into dealing with addiction, as opposed to looking at the long-term ramifications, number one, and then the ripple effect, number two. Talk about how this resource um, helps us more than just understand. It really does help us provide some help for people who are battling addiction. Mm, Yeah. as as you get to understand addiction better, you you come face to face with the fact that yeah, this is a this is always a process. You know, you become aware of an addiction forming. It's very often an awfully long time before you or the person you're concerned about really will acknowledge the reality of of the harm that this is causing. Even at that point, then the journey out is a long one. It's a slow one. Relapse is is almost inevitable in the journeys that we take. And every journey is different. You know, the way the way mm-hmm. forward is different. I think part of the heart of, of the book is to say, hey, this is all around us. It's a huge issue. Let's understand why it's 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 bubbling away in our culture. What what's driving this? What is this? And and how can we help? And I think if we step back and really just have a sober-minded look at it and say, hey, you know what? This occasionally gets lifted with with some prayer ministry. This occasionally gets dealt with in in a one and done. But in reality, ordinarily, what we're saying is, you know, we're broken people. We live in a broken world. And and this issue is is one for the long haul and it's messy. But but there is hope and there is a way out. You know, 
I would be remiss if I didn't uh, include at this point here, we've been talking, Dr. Andy Partington and I, about addiction, and I've been mentioning things like drugs and alcohol and things like that. But when you're writing about this in the book, Hope and Addiction, you're also talking about gambling addictions. You're talking about people who are uh, you know, addicted to pornography. Even, even <laughs> this is right between the eyes for me, people who are addicted to the internet, to their phone, to their work. I mean, the, what their, addiction has kind of become the byword of the culture. I mean, to describe what, what's happening in, in the world in the 2023 year. It, it really is. You know, I talk about the age of addiction. And, and it, again, it's like we've got to reconcile ourselves to, to, the, to the depth and the extent of this. One of the things that I think does help us is there's not many of us who can't look at our cell phone and say, hey, I've got a really healthy relationship with this thing. You know, mm. it, 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 we, we all know what it is to have a brain that actually, for a lot of really good reasons, is very good at seeking out what's going to meet our needs, what's going to solve our problems, and zeroing in on it. Um, mm -hmm. Of course, that quickly turns against us, whether it's the feel-good factor of being connected with a friend on Facebook or whether it's the, the sense of escape I got when I, when I used cocaine for the first time, the courage I feel as I take a drink too many, whatever it might be, we can start to we can start to understand. I think that feeds our ability to have compassion, and I, I think that feeds our, our desire and our capacity to help um, as we face into the hard truth of living in in what is really an age of addiction. It gets to the point. I get the sense, Doctor Andy Partington, where sometime what people will you know look at and say, "Okay, my son, my daughter, my friend, you know, whoever it is, has this problem." But if I'm going to help them, I've got to take a look at my own heart first and foremost and say, gosh, you know what? I mean, there but for the grace of God go me because I am addicted to my phone. I am addicted to my job or or my church or, you know, whatever it is. Talk about how we as individuals can take a look at the issue of addiction from a healthy biblical perspective with the hope not only of helping ourselves, but to say I can be more useful in the kingdom if I will first kind of own up to where I am in this mm, process. Mm. I, th I think if we gather around the shared sense of, of the sort of vulnerability you're describing, um, a shared sense of recognizing we've got problems and we look for solutions, and often the cheap fake, cheap, fake alternative is, is, is really attractive. Again, we live in a consumerist society, you know, where the very first thing many of us do when we, we're feeling a bit low or we're discouraged or whatever it might be is we think I'll buy a coffee. I'll, I'll go out. I'll hit the store. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll jump onto Amazon. Again, all of these things are signed. What does that do? It, it breathes into us. If we'll let it a sense of humility and an, an ability to come along and say, say, okay, how do we, how do we manage these things really well ourselves? Now, of course, the reality is certain things, have an ability to do far more harm to us, you know? And, and yeah, my, my cell phone addiction, it, it, maybe it's just a really bad habit. It is a category. It, it is in a category different to, you know, a severe alcohol addiction or a severe sure. drug addiction or sure. a severe sex addiction. Say, and I, I think in that as well, it's important to, to recognize we we're also talking about things at different points on the same continuum. I'm talking with Dr. Andy Partington today here on The Bottom Line. Hope and Addiction is the name of the brand new book. Understanding and helping those caught in its grip. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. More to come in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. 
One of the greatest gifts that we can give to an expectant mother is the gift of the first picture she'll ever have of her son or daughter in the womb. That comes through an ultrasound, and our friends at Preborn have an opportunity for us to make more of these ultrasounds a reality. Every time you give a donation of $28 to Preborn, that means one more ultrasound can take place. But how about giving enough money for an ultrasound machine? The cost is $15,000. It's a sizable investment, but every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts at least 10 years. Now take that cost $15,000 and divide that by 2,500. Okay, now you begin to see how the cost per ultrasound goes down even more once we have more ultrasound machines to donate into preborn clinics. Make a donation right now to preborn. It's completely tax deductible, and every penny, every dollar you donate right now is going to the purchase of an ultrasound machine. 833-850-BABY is the number to call, 833-850-2229, or go to kbrightradio.com. That's K-B-R-I-T-E radio.com. Click on the banner for Preborn and make your best donation right now. $25, $50, $100, it all counts towards saving babies' lives. kbrightradio.com, hit the Preborn banner right now. Welcome back to this Bottom Line Show, everyone, Wednesday edition of the program. Andy Partington is my guest, and we're talking about a serious subject, but the good news about this serious subject is that we have resources for you, and if you or someone you know is dealing with an addiction, whether it be pickleball or online gambling or pornography, whatever it is, there are so many Christians who are dealing with this issue. Andy Partington's written a book to help. It's called Hope in Addiction, Understanding and Helping Those Caught in Its Grip. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And since it's Everyone Wednesday, we have three copies of this book that we're giving away right now. And that's three copies in addition to two other copies from my next guest. We've got at least five books to give away today. So you have an excellent chance of winning. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. If you would like to win one of the three copies that we have to give away today of Andy Partington's book called Hope in Addiction, Understanding and Helping Those Caught in Its Grip, call Crystal right now. Joel may pinch in and uh, help out with the phones as well. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. If you're a pastor, if you're in any kind of leadership role in your church, and you know there's someone in your church family that's going through this, be proactive. Get a copy of this resource, read up on it. If you know there's someone who's wrestling with it, ask the uncomfortable question. Hey, do you wanna have a chat about this? Is there something we can do to help out? Some people will gladly accept your offer and other people will run away. But the name of the game is in the same way the Lord pursued us when we were yet sinners, we can be pursuing others with the good news of the gospel that there is deliverance and hope for people facing addiction. More of my conversation with Andy Partington in just a moment as the bottom line continues. You've been in an accident and the worst thing you can do is to wait to contact Stephanie at Cover Law. Stephanie frequently talks to people who waited too long to seek help with their cases or tried to handle them on their own. And by then, it's too late. Family and friends mean well, but they can give truly bad advice. Often even trusted advisors will try and convince you to wait for more compensation. Stephanie knows the insurance companies want you to wait. They don't want you to file police reports, and they don't want you to reach out to Stephanie at Cover Law. That's because Stephanie is keenly aware of the tactics they use and why. 
She spent 20 years litigating for insurance companies and knows the strategy they will use to minimize their liability and your awarded amount. Insurance companies are for profit. They don't share Stephanie's Christian values, and typically they won't be fair to you. Don't deny yourself the ability to get better. Go with a proven expert in the field of personal injury and contact Cover Law at kbrightradio.com slash C-O-V-E-R today. I'm talking with Dr. Andy Partington today here on The Bottom Line. Hope and Addiction is the name of the brand new book. Understanding and helping those caught in its grip. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Uh, Andy, let, let's talk about those solutions now because we realize that there are a lot of pastors. I, I was counseling with a pastor one time, and just we were talking, we were having lunch, but you know, it's kind of a you're in your church, I'm in my church. Let, I'll be that kind of safe place for you to kind of unload. And he looked at me and he had tears in his eyes. He said, You know, there are so many things that we are dealing with in our congregation right now that no one prepared me for in seminary. Mm-hmm. You know, I, mean, I, I, don't, I don't know how to, to, to get the balance sheet right. I don't know how to handle legal challenges. I don't know what happens when a parent comes in and tears and says, my son wants to be my daughter, you know, the, 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 everything that's going on. And addiction is way up there, you know, in terms of what is fracturing families and finding its way into the church. Give us some good first steps. I mean, talk, maybe there's a story in the book, Hope for Addiction, that would be applicable here. But uh, but give us a give, give us some hope from what you've seen, road mm. tested all over the world, that mm. we can actually start putting into practice. Mm. Yeah. The the key, I think, is is to to recognize the issue and 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 to start to really understand how how all this works. Um, what can we do? Um, one of the key things I think churches can do is is to say. Let's find the people in our community to, who've got experience of addiction, who've got experience of recovery. Mm-hmm. Let's bring them right into the heart of this because addiction is a thing you can both tackle as an issue on its own. It's also a thing you can say, let's just as a culture within our church community, let's bring this in. Let's think about it. So one of the things I, I think is an awesome move to make is to just say, hey, we're going to have a team of recovery champions. We're going to talk about addiction. We're going to think about addiction. We're going to hear from them. We're going to look at how we do worship and what we teach on and how we do small groups and how we connect with Celebrate Recovery and 12-step groups, all that stuff. Just bring bringing those people in to help us with that. Um, you know, the, the I use I use an, an illustration to, to help understand help us to understand recovery which is about around spider-man and batman and how they do the, do what they do so they both do these remarkable feats but what batman does batman does because he's got the tools for the job he's got the he's got robin by his side he's equipped with strategies and tactics and a, and a practical ability Actually, when when we look at both preventing addiction and dealing with it early and dealing with it when it gets severe, there's actually a lot of really practical things we can do. You know, we can be well connected in terms of community and relationship. We can learn to go deeper with one another. We can get therapy. I can go on. When you look at Spider-Man, Spider-Man does what Spider-Man does because he's been bitten by that toxic spider and something's changed on the inside. Yeah. And, and and a transformation, an inside-out change happens that gives him this capacity. As the church, we tend to sort of lean one way or the other. You know, it's either a spiritual problem, which we solve solely with a spiritual solution, mm-hmm. or it's a really practical thing that we farm out to X, Y, or Z. 
what I'd love for us to be doing as churches and for church leaders to be doing is to be pulling those two things together and yeah. just taking a big look at the church and say, okay, how do we tackle addiction and how do we really affirm recovery in, in, in our community? As you were talking, Andy, earlier about um, the, the the champions, as it were, I think the term you use for people mm. who overcome addiction, I couldn't help but thinking, I don't know why it's just kind of a basic analogy, but I'd love to get your take on this. Um, longtime sports fan, football, baseball, soccer, football to you. <laughs> um, you know, there are teams that I just really have adored over the years it, since childhood. And now with the gray hair, obviously, the childhood is well in the rearview mirror. But I... As I've grown and as the games have grown, I marvel now at the guys who played the game who are now coaching, mm. who are now doing analysis on television or wherever it is. And I think, well, you know, who better than to do somebody to, to be in a position like that than to have somebody who has experienced this, you know, and maybe their career was full of promise and then an injury or a poor decision or two. I think of Daryl Strawberry, famous uh, Major League Baseball player, has been a guest in this program, who wound up just completely it, Major League Baseball threw him for a loop being in New York and, you know, dealing with that at 21 and cocaine and all that stuff. God's using him to preach mightily now with those stories of, hey, I know what it's like. Uh, does the church need, I mean, I, I don't know that we necessarily need more pastors or counselors like that. We just need to recognize the ones who are already there. In we our really midst. do. We, yeah. we really, we really, really do. You know what, as I'm writing the book, you know, the, the, there's lots of practical ideas in there and there's lots to kind of, to get a hold of, but really more than anything else, for me, the question is, what's the system level kind of move that we can make that that's going to work, whether you're talking about a a Lutheran church or a Pentecostal church, West Coast, East Coast, Africa, London, whatever. And, and I really do. I think there's there's something prophetic even about the experience that those who are in addiction have had, those who are coming out of addiction can, can speak to us about the times we live in, about the nature of desire and sin and freedom and the renewing of the mind. And, and we've actually got this gold mine around us, uh, which which tends to stay on the edges, you know, because, you know, right. truth is often people who are in recovery are sometimes that they've, they've got some challenges. Sometimes they'll speak a, a direct with a directness that we don't always find comfortable. But we, we need these guys at the heart heartbeat of, of our churches. I remember doing youth ministry one time uh, as I'm talking with Dr. Andy Partington about hope and addiction, his new book, which is up at the bottom line show.com. And it was for a high school camp, a bunch of kids, 13, 14, all the way to eight, 18 years of age. And there was a huge discussion over whether or not the kids who smoke cigarettes should be allowed to smoke cigarettes. And we killed an hour and a half one time at a counselor's meeting with this conversation about nicotine addiction and this, that, the other thing. And I was actually, I was kind of stunned, if not appalled, at the number of leaders who were saying, well, so what? <laughs> you know, we're going to be here for seven days and it's good for them to not have access to cigarettes. Mm -hmm. Instead of saying, wait a minute, I mean, some of these kids started smoking at eight, nine, mm -hmm. 10. They've been smoking for 10 years. Their body mm -hmm. is used to it. We are not a rehab center, mm -hmm. but- how do you meet people? I get the sense when you're talking about hope and addiction, you're basically saying the solution is not to pull out the internet and uh, throw away the phone, and, you know, take those drastic measures, but rather start by meeting people where they are and then ministering from there. Talk about that. Exactly. You know, they're, they're, we, we, we maybe need safe spaces. You sometimes need rehabs. You sometimes need these kind of, these protections around someone who's, 
re-establishing healthy brain chemistry and is trying to deal with their direct relationship with the substance, with the behavior, whatever it might be. But but yeah, more more readily, you know, we live in a culture which is driving us towards addiction. We've got yeah. a level of hopelessness that's off the scale, you know, a real profound sense of despair that that captures. Addiction, the substance overdoses, drug overdoses are the leading cause of death in those under 50. These are mm. these young people with a, with a desire uh with, who are being destroyed by their desire um because they're hopeless you know we live in a we live in a world where addicts say to me all the time i felt empty i was just trying to fill a hole yep um the the levels of abuse in families that the impact that comes from all sorts of of the things that life throws at us make us vulnerable to addiction in adulthood and we're deeply disconnected and again, going back to the conversation we were having earlier, or the, the, the back and forth earlier, this is something we all share and we all experience. And I think yeah. the start point has to be compassion and a sense of, of brotherhood, sisterhood in it. Um, we are there, but by the grace of God, those who are not in, in severe addiction, but we know what it feels like. Boy, that's great counsel from Dr. Andy Partington today here on The Bottom Line. I highly recommend his book, Hope in Addiction, Understanding and Helping Those Caught in Its Grip, which is up at thebottomlineshow.com. I mentioned at the start of the program, Andy leads the work at the Novo Communities and Novo Adventures as well. Uh, take some time here at the uh, conclusion of our program to talk about uh, what you do through this ministry and, and, uh, and, and what you're working toward. I mean, it seems like God has placed a huge task in front of you, but has also equipped you well. Mm, yeah. So really with Novo Communities, what we're seeking to do is come alongside people in the developing world whose heart is to help those who are gripped by addiction. So uh, we started a, a residential program in Bolivia, developed our, our, our approach there. Um, but really, at this point, I live now live in Nicaragua and we are in the the business of of saying, where are the people with the heart? How can we come alongside them with training, with mentoring, with funding, with, with the support and fellowship they need to do this work effectively? Um, so that's, a, that's really what Nova Communities is about. It's about helping people get free, um, but getting behind those who've got that call. Nova Adventures is a motorcycle tour business that we operate down in Bolivia um, as a, a means of generating income. So we host international tourists from all over the world who come on seven-day, 10-day, 14-day motorcycle tours of, of Bolivia, which is truly one of the great um, adventure motorcycling destinations in the world. Quite sounds like it. And we'll we'll put links up for Novo Communities and Novo Adventures at thebottomlineshow.com as well. So if any of our listeners want to learn more about them, they can uh, they can freely consume and partake of that information. Dr. Andy Partington, thank you so much for the work that you have done literally since you were in diapers. Uh, well, no, you were probably well past them by the age of three, I would imagine. <laughs> um, anyway, the book, Hope and Addiction, Understanding and Helping Those Caught in Its Grip is up at thebottomlineshow.com and we'll be giving away a copy here uh, shortly after I say adieu to Dr. Andy Partington. Andy, great to get to meet you. Thanks for the time today here on The Bottom Line Show. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, what a powerful conversation. What a fantastic resource too. My thanks to Andy Partington for joining me today here on The Bottom Line to talk about this book, Hope in Addiction, Understanding and Helping Those Caught in Its Grip, a great resource for churches, for pastors, for lay ministry leaders. And we have three copies to give away here on this Everyone Wednesday. would love to place one in your hands right away. 800-227-5278. 
is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, we have three copies here on this Everyone Wednesday to give away of Andy Partington's book, Hope in Addiction, Understanding and Helping Those Caught in Its Grip. 800-227-5278-800-227-5278-800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. On the other side of this break, one of the first families of American fast food is the Kathy family. Of course, Truett Kathy is a, uh, a, a leader in the fast food industry, the convenience food, if you will. Um, but it's his wife, Jeanette, and daughter, Trudy, who actually talk about the quiet strength of the legacy that the Kathy family has left. And Trudy Kathy White's been a regular guest here on The Bottom Line Show, uh, has written a couple of books, one of them called Quiet Strength, The Legacy of Jeanette Kathy, and the other one, um, a beautiful book called Climb Every Mountain. We've got links for both of them up at thebottomlineshow.com. As we continue, uh, Trudy talks about what her mom's legacy meant to her. And also on this Everyone Wednesday, we've got a couple of copies of Trudy Kathy White's books to give away as well. So keep dialing. You're going to keep winning. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. The number to get you through to the bottom line. Well, a special guest joining me today here on The Bottom Line Show, a, a, a woman whose uh, family is associated with good food and great faith, and we are so grateful to have uh, Trudy Kathy White with me today here on The Bottom Line, the only daughter of Truett and Jeanette Kathy, and uh, she's written a book about her mom's life and legacy. She's launched a brand new podcast, and I'm just grateful, Trudy, that you have even a half hour to spend some time with us today with the busy schedule that you keep. Trudy Kathy White, welcome to The Bottom Line Show. Oh, thank you so much. What an honor to be here with you today. I appreciate it. What was it like growing up with Truett Kathy as your dad? I mean, we'll get that <laughs> one out of the way right away because, I mean, the, the guy's a genius and obviously has this tremendous legacy, but, but you knew him as dad first before the Chick-fil-A guy. What was that like for you? That's exactly right. My dad was actually in the restaurant business for a little over 18 years before he ever invented Chick-fil-A. And growing up in his little restaurant was very common for my brothers and I to show up and my mother would take us to my dad's restaurant and we would sing for the customers, if you can imagine. Yeah. We were mm-hmm. quite little. So it has been a family business right from the beginning. And in fact, when mother and dad got married, my mother became a waitress uh, in his restaurant. And then when children came along, mother spent most of her time at home caring for us. She was a full-time stay-at-home mom. We were raised south of Atlanta uh, in a little farm in the country. And so we didn't have a lot of neighbors to play with. Mother and dad and I were quite close to one another. We rode Shetland ponies. We climbed uh, trees. We got into all kinds of trouble, just like typical children do. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, my mom and dad were incredible uh, parents. They weren't perfect parents. There are no such thing as perfect parents, but right. uh, they certainly were very focused on helping us to understand how much God loves us. They raised us in a, an environment uh, where we were taught God's word. We were taken to church. Uh, I would say that my my upbringing was a very happy. Uh, fun uh, life, and specifically, is that you ask about my dad. My, after Chick Fil A came on board, my dad smelled like chicken all the time, and, <laughs> and he worked long, long hours. So, I bet. Uh, I bet. 
I bet. They were incredible people, taught us a tremendous work ethic. You know, I'm talking with uh, Trudy Kathy White today here on The Bottom Line. She's written a book about her mom, and I, I'm so t- intrigued with this because the book, A Quiet Strength, The Life and Legacy of Jeanette M. Kathy, is up at thebottomlineshow.com. And, and Trudy, I, I'm intrigued by this because you can't be a Christian, it seems like, and not have heard of not only Chick-fil-A, but the legacy of Truett Kathy. And the fact that there obviously was another component, a key component in the Kathy story and getting the Chick-fil-A launched, and that was your mom. Uh, talk about uh, the, what, what impressed you about her. I would imagine that you mentioned that they weren't perfect parents necessarily, but something had to go right with her with all those boys at home and then with a daughter and keeping uh, you know, a, an entrepreneurial-based husband uh, you know, in line as well, too. That, that really took a lot of effort and, as you mentioned, a quiet strength of hers. Yeah, it did. You know, all of us would say that mother had the most critical role in the the family business called Chick-fil-A because the role that she had was to support my dad in trying to grow this business. And she was um, she was a real spiritual compass for my dad. She was a, an encourager and cheerleader for us as children and certainly a prayer warrior for her grandchildren and great-grandchildren. My mom, uh, people know very little about my mom because she didn't mind being uh, backstage, behind the scenes. Her role really was to offer support uh, to my dad. And so after she passed away, I felt like, People really need to know this woman. She was such a strong, powerful lady and had such an influence on our family and on our business. And so I wrote the book. I'm not sure she would have been very happy about it, but now people can know an awful lot about her life. And I ran across a scripture in the book of Isaiah that says that in quietness and in trust shall be your strength. And I just felt like that so depicted my mom. She knew how to quiet her busy days from time to time to spend spend time with the Lord. And she diligently trusted in the Lord for everything. And because of that, she became an incredible quiet strength for our family. I think that's amazing. And it's so wonderful to hear because obviously the legacy that she left for you and your brothers and also for the grandchildren and, and basically for all, all of the world who benefits from the ministry of Chick-fil-A is really, really incredible. Uh, Trudy Kathy White is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. She's written a book about her mother called A Quiet Strength, The Life and Legacy of Jeanette M. Kathy. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. How did these two kids get together, Trudy Kathy? I mean, oftentimes we just kind of pick it up from the they're married, they have kids. And Chick-fil-A becomes a big phenomenon. But obviously there had to be, I would, I would imagine, as wonderful a woman as your mother sounds like, the way you describe her in the book, she probably had a, no shortage of gentlemen callers, as they might have said in her generation. Talk about <laughs> what it was like for mom and dad as they were getting together. Did dad have to fight off some of these guys to get his way through to her? Well, interestingly enough, they they grew up pretty much right down the street from each other and met mm. for the first time when they were eight years old. My dad liked to say they never they didn't get married then, but uh, they sure stayed kind of stayed connected. My dad, uh, both my mom and dad came from a very poor family. My dad's mother was really the breadwinner in the family. He came from a very large family. My mother was raised by a single mom. Uh, her earthly father walked out on her when she was a baby in arms, so mm. she never ever met her earthly father but if she were here today she would say don't feel sorry for me because when I was five years old someone introduced me to Jesus Christ and that the fairy God who created me could become my heavenly father and she said for the rest of my life I had a perfect uh, perfect heavenly father um, and and so their upbringing was was quite different and yet my mother was a she was a lifelong learner she finished high school and had such a desire to go off to college. A group of ladies in her local church 
afforded her the opportunity financially to be able to finish her college degree and even take courses uh, at a seminary. And that was really important to my mom. My dad sure. barely finished high school. Dad didn't like to study. Dad uh, <laughs> was an entrepreneur from the time he was a young boy. And so they were on different tracks. But through the influence of siblings, my mom and my dad's siblings, they were introduced to each other later in life uh, after they were in college. And it was love at first sight, really, they would say. They, um, my dad asked my mom to marry her, him, and uh, she turned him down at first, and then she finally agreed to marry him over Cokes at the Dwarf House, which is my dad's original restaurant. Oh, my. So, uh, so it's been quite a journey. They were married for almost 66 years and oh. lived to be 93 and 92. God richly blessed their marriage together. It sounds like it, and if, we're, if you're just joining us, Trudy Kathy White is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. We're talking about the book that she's written about her mother. It's called A Quiet Strength, The Life and Legacy of Jeanette M. Kathy. For all the books that have been written about her dad, Truett Kathy, and the legacy of Chick-fil-A, to get a chance to see up close and personal the legacy of this amazing woman behind the scenes, and, and really a, a, a trailblazer. It sounds both of your parents had that, that kind of entrepreneurial, maybe it hasn't been done before, but we're going to do it, a spirit, which I think is, is remarkable, especially as a testament to their faith. Was there a time, Trudy? Well, let me back this up, because I was going to say when there was a time when you and your mom had some kind of conflict that was unresolvable. That's inevitable between mothers and daughters. So let me rephrase that. Talk about how you and your mom did. I mean, where, I'm sure there were some touch points that were good, but other places, too, where you might have butted heads a little bit. How did you guys work through those? Well, they, they did happen quite often, but one specific, I'll tell you, when I was probably about 10 years old, I was taking piano lessons at um, Mr. Edwards' home, and I was, I was walking out for my piano lesson. I picked up a penny off of his coffee table, jumped in the car with Mother, and Mother looked at that penny that was in my hand, and she said, where did you get that? And I, for the first time, it dawned on me, maybe I had done something I shouldn't have done. And mm. I told her, well, I picked it up off of Mr. Edwards' coffee table. And she said, well, you'll need to take that penny back to him and ask him to forgive you for taking what didn't belong to you. And I pitched a fit in the car. I did not. That was the last thing I wanted to do. And I told right. her, it's, it's just a penny. He'll never miss it. Uh, but Mother insisted that I take the penny back. And, of course, I did, tears streaming down my cheeks. I returned the penny to Mr. Edwards. I asked him to forgive me that I had done wrong. I jumped back in the car, and my mother, for the rest of the way home, helped me to understand uh, the importance of honesty, being respectful of other people's things, and um, and just being responsible. And so my mother, even though we would butt heads from time to time, she always would take advantage of just everyday opportunities to teach us lessons and help us to understand the importance of how we lived our life and making good choices. He who is faithful with little will be entrusted with much, and uh, your mom understood that. I mean, not only from the vantage point of coming from a single-parent household and, and uh, obviously knowing the value of a dollar, or in this case, a penny, but I love that story. I mean, it's just, it's, and, and the fact that you, she gave you the space to get angry with her a little bit, too. I think that, that speaks volumes about that quiet strength that you're writing about in this brand-new book. Uh, Trudy, uh, Kathy White is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. The book is called A Quiet Strength, The Life and Legacy of Jeanette M. Kathy, we've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. More of this conversation in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. 
Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years? After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account, Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, still taking your calls for Andy Paddington's book on those who are seeking hope for addiction, understanding and helping those caught in its grip. It's Everyone Wednesday, and so we have three copies of this book to give away. 800-227-5278. is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Um, we're taking a break here at the midpoint of my conversation with author Trudy Cathy White. She is the daughter of Truett and Jeanette Cathy, uh, of course, the founders of Chick-fil-A. And uh, she's written a great book about her mom's legacy called A Quiet Strength, which we have up at thebottomlineshow.com. She's also written another powerful memoir called Climb Every Mountain uh, because she says, look, if God had intended our days on earth to be easy, they would be. <laughs> so chances are, if you're going through a tough time right now, whether it's helping someone with addiction or just dealing with your own stuff, um, you're in good company. Join the crowd, shake hands with the rest of us, whatever other euphemism applies. Um, in addition to Andy Paddington's, or Partington's three books, we have two copies of the books from Trudy Cathy White as well that we're giving away. So if you call 800-227-5278 right now, your chances of winning something are excellent. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800 the number to get you through to the bottom line. You know, I think the strength that speaks the loudest to us is the quiet strength that people who are going through things have. And it's really nice. I mean, it's beautiful when someone has wealth or power or influence or things like that. When you find out after the fact that they don't spend a lot of time bragging about it, they don't spend a lot of time going on and on and on about how much wealth they have or how much influence they have. When you discover it that way, there's something that's even more special about it and i love these conversations with trudy kathy white when she talks about her mom jeanette because the quiet strength that she had while truett kathy was getting all the headlines and all the recognition for running the chick-fil-a franchise um, it was jeanette who was holding the family together and that's just a beautiful testimony that trudy shares about her mom um, we'll have more of this conversation about Trudy Kathy White's testimony about her mother in just a moment on the other side of this break. Uh, first, though, let me remind everyone listening to KCBC that you are leaving us for right now. And uh, you've got Rabbi Schneider discovering the Jewish Jesus coming up next. For those who remain on the network, more with Trudy Kathy White in just a moment as the bottom line continues. Joined for this segment today here on The Bottom Line by Trudy Kathy White, the only daughter. We hear a lot about the uh, the Kathy family sons, and uh, Truett and Jeanette Kathy had uh, sons, but they have a daughter. And uh, Jeanette was, so that means you were daddy's little girl, right, Trudy Kathy White? <laughs> that's, that's right. Yeah. Did that ever get you into trouble with your mom, where you'd sit there and say, Mom would try to enforce a rule, and you'd say, well, I'll just go work my charms on Dad. He won't say no to me. Honestly, they pretty much stayed on the same page, and so that never worked oh. for me. Although if you, you ask 
<laughs> if you ask my brothers, I would say I was never spoiled, but my, my brothers might have a different um, answer. <laughs> but, that, but that's a great biblical example, though. Mom and dad are on the same page. Mom yeah. and dad are on the same page with ministry, with their business, with the way they raise their children. What a gift they gave you, in spite of the fact, as you mentioned, that mom did pursue academics, which made her a bit of a rule breaker, you know, in terms of you know women in the 1940s. And right. dad was just a hard worker, sweat of his brow. I got through high school, but it, obviously it didn't seem to deter him. Him, uh, from the success that he's achieved and, and of course the family has benefited from with the the food and the restaurants at chick-fil-a uh, this book a quiet strength the life and legacy of Jeanette M Kathy we've got a link for it up at the bottom line show.com uh, kind of give us just a general overview I mean we could go through story after story but I'm sure there are a couple that kind of jump out what how did you decide what was going in the book Trudy Kathy white and how did you decide what would be in the second book if there's going to be one yeah, well, I knew I had a lot of stories about my mom to be able to share, but I also realized that there were other people that had connections with her that probably had some stories that I might not have even heard. And yeah. we got a chance to interview uh, quite a few people, one of which was Eddie White. He worked in the kitchen of my dad's restaurant from the time he was a young teenager. And he tells the story about when my mom was a waitress in the restaurant, about her washing dishes in the kitchen with him and their yeah. conversations together. So I put that in the book and uh, just a wonderful, wonderful insight. One of the things that my mother uh, had a tradition of doing when we were growing up was she would stand at the back door while we would walk out the house and she would say, remember who you are and whose you are. And the thing that she wanted to emphasize to us was, you know, of course, our identity. She wanted us to realize that it's not about what we're able to accomplish. It's not about who we're related to, but our identity is found in who God says we are. And so throughout the book, I'm able to kind of uh, help people understand and realize that through a lot of stories of my mom's life, uh, we learned what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ and how much God loves us. And that was so thrilling to me, me to be able to share my mom's stories in, in that vein and in that light. Was there any, ever any pressure on you, Trudy Kathy White, to follow the footsteps, to go into the family business? I know you did. You mentioned, you know, working there at some point. Was, was there any pressure? Or was that something you went into willingly and said, hey, this is I don't care if it's my mom and dad. This is a great opportunity. You know, that's such an intriguing question, because my my parents always said they, they only wanted us to follow the Lord. Whatever God wanted us to do in terms of a career, that's what they wanted you know, for us. But in the heart of hearts, my dad would say he always wanted family involved in the, in the business. And we sure. all feel, feel like we are very much involved. My brothers have uh, gone the route of being very hands-on in the management uh, side of the business. I have served in the role as an ambassador, a representative uh, of the company. My husband and I served in in mission, as missionaries in Brazil. So we were overseas for a while and uh, through all of our families, members, even as we are raising now uh, our own grandchildren, uh, we are helping them to understand their responsibility and their role in this family business is to make sure that they know how to make good decisions and that they represent our Lord and our company and our family and in the kind of life that we would want to uh, be represented. So I think we all have uh, an opportunity to, to really serve in a role. And we're so grateful for customers who are faithful uh, to Chick-fil-A and eating with us. Uh, Senator Tim Scott was a guest on this program not too long ago. He had a book out about, uh, you know, just 
his life and, and his legacy. And he mentioned very fondly that one of the turning points for him when he was going through high school was uh, the fact that he had the opportunity to work at a Chick-fil-A and it really just kind of uh, kind of turned him around. Are there any other, I'm going to give you a chance here to drop names. You're not bragging because they really did work for you, but who are some of the more famous, noteworthy people that you've encountered, Trudy Kathy White, who have either worked for or maybe been investors in, franchise or whatever, in the Chick-fil-A family? Well, you know, I have recently heard Senator Scott's uh, story, and John Moniz was his operator who my dad hired years and years ago. And John and Janice Moniz were incredible uh, people that we so much admired through the years. But, uh, you know, we, we need, meet a lot of people on our journey, but it, it is exciting to see the connection and that people enjoy eating Chick-fil-A. But more importantly, we like to remind people that we're – we're not really in the chicken business. We're more in the people business. We mm. simply use the sandwich as a tool to make connections uh, with other people. And so our purpose for being a business is to glorify God by being a faithful steward of all that's entrusted to us and to have a positive influence on all who come in contact with Chick-fil-A. So whoever we meet along the way, if we have an opportunity to impact them and influence them in a positive way, uh, we feel like we're fulfilling the very thing that God has asked us to do. Trudy Kathy White is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Her book is called A Quiet Strength, The Life and Legacy of Jeanette M. Kathy. We've got a link for that book up at thebottomlineshow.com. It's a wonderful homage to her mom, uh, who really, in many ways, was as important, uh, maybe even more important than the Trudy Kathy legacy, because having that partnership, having that teamwork there, keeping everything together at home while he was off you know, building the empire, um, they were really working on this together, and it's such a, a wonderful legacy. Over the past decade, the Chick-fil-A name brand has expanded. It's exploded. I know for us in the West Coast, we finally got to see. I've been hearing about Chick-fil-A for such a long time, like in the 80s and 90s. All my friends in Christian music radio, they're like, oh, yeah, Chick-fil-A this. And they're sponsoring that. And I'm like, we don't have any of this out here. I'm so glad that the restaurants have been able to expand. They've expanded with a lot of support, but also with a certain measure of controversy. When when the controversy does come up, Trudy Kathy White, because, I mean, it, it, it seems to rear its ugly head every now and again. How does the how does the family respond? I mean, we know how the corporation has responded, but how, how does that strike you, your husband, your brothers? How do you guys deal with those times? As a family, we deal with it the same way uh, we watched our mom and dad deal with it when we were growing up. When my dad would come home from work, oftentimes he'd be really tired. And he would have had a really hard day. And he was not, um, he didn't hold back oftentimes his feelings. In fact, usually at the dinner tables when he would share his disappointments, maybe a, maybe a team member or uh, someone has taken money from his restaurant that is disappointing from him, somebody that hadn't been responsible, whatever it was, he would share it with us. And one of the first things my mom would say, let's pray, let's pray about this. Amen. And so as a family, one of the first things that happens to us anytime we kind of feel like we're under the gun about anything, we just take it to the Lord. And recently I saw a quote from Tim Keller that says, depending on God in trouble is a spiritual skill that can only be learned when you're in trouble. And so, you know, so when pressure comes and, and life is difficult and there are disappointments or discouragements, uh, we've learned to take those to the Lord and, and to really trust him. He says, I will be with you. You can never fear um, uh, whatever comes about. He says that he will protect us. And so we're, we're trusting in the Lord that we're going to make mistakes. We're not going to be able to please everybody. But uh, our desire and our real heartfelt intention is to honor the Lord. 
I love that. That's a great testimony from Trudy Kathy White today here on The Bottom Line. Her uh, um, her homage to her mother, Jeanette uh, Kathy, is up at thebottomlineshow.com. It's a book called A Quiet Strength. Uh, Trudy, we've got a couple minutes left in our conversation. And now in addition to uh, being an entrepreneur, being a philanthropist, missionary, all the things that you and your husband have accomplished, you're an author and you're also a podcaster as well. Talk about uh, along the Along the Way. Is that the name of the podcast? That's the name of the podcast, Along the Way with Trudy Kathy White. I, um, you know, I much prefer speaking to people live. I don't enjoy that much speaking into a microphone. Mm-hmm. But one of the passions that I have is an opportunity to be intentional with connections and to be able to share my own life stories and hopefully to use those stories to be able to encourage other people in their walk along the way of, of life. And so I launched the podcast really to be an encouragement to others and, and to inspire, inspire people. I love to share stories. And so each of the podcast are just true life stories of things that God is teaching me along the way. I hope it's a real inspiration to those who get a chance to listen to it. Well, we'll put a link up at thebottomlineshow.com because I know that people really resonate with stories. Obviously, Jesus told parables. I mean, it's a very, very effective means of doing that kind of communication of the gospel. But especially now, I think with the year that we've had, as people are starting to dig out and get back out and go to Chick-fil-A for dinner and that type of thing, <laughs> more and more people are, are are looking for that. Hey, how are you? everyone's been impacted by this, either a little or a lot. So um, how, how has it impacted you and how is God working in your life? So the Along the Way podcast with Trudy Kathy White, we've got a link for that up at thebottomlineshow.com. The book is called A Quiet Strength, The Life and Legacy of Jeanette M. Kathy, my guest for the past 20 minutes or so has been Trudy Kathy White, the author of that book. Trudy, how can we pray for you and your family uh, as the year is beginning to unfold now and God's doing some really wonderful, amazing things through you and your family? Well, I appreciate that question. I I think the biggest thing that any one of us in our family would ask is that we are able to faithfully steward what God has entrusted to us, that we are able to manage well the things that he has given us. We we recognize the fact that this business is not ours. It belongs to the Lord. Every restaurant that we open, we dedicate it to the Lord. Uh, Our objective with our team members is to teach them great life skills. And for all of us, when we're living life, just to be able to steward the wonderful things that God has given us. And we recognize we've been blessed to be a blessing. So our desire is to continue strong with that. I think it's a wonderful testimony and a fitting footnote for our conversation here today. Trudy Kathy White, the author of the book, A Quiet Strength, The Life and Legacy of Jeanette M. Kathy, the wife of Truett Kathy, the founder of Chick-fil-A Restaurants. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we'll also put a link up for the podcast along the way with Trudy Kathy White. Trudy, a pleasure to get to know you. Thank you for your time today. Thanks for the book and for being with us here on The Bottom Line Show. Thank you so much, Roger. Appreciate it. Fun to revisit that conversation with Trudy Kathy White, the daughter, the only daughter of the founder of Chick-fil-A, Truett Kathy, and his uh, wife, Jeanette. Uh, she's written a couple of books about her mom. Uh, one of them is called A Quiet Strength, and the other is called Climb Every Mountain. For those who are calling in for Andy Partington's book on hope and addiction, we have given those three away. So uh, thank you for calling for those. But it's Everyone Wednesday, and we still have two more copies of uh, Trudy Kathy White's books to give away, one each for Quiet Strength and Climb Every Mountain. So get your name on the list for the drawing and uh, call us right now. 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Trudy Kathy White, the daughter of Truett Kathy and Jeanette Kathy, the founders of Chick-fil-A, two of her books to give away today here on Everyone Wednesday. A Quiet Strength and Climb Every Mountain, 
the number to get you through to the bottom line. On the other side of this break, I want to take a look at another mom who is making a difference in the lives of her children, but the fact that she has chosen the course that that she has taken should be a red flag to all of us here in this culture. And so I issue this to you as a family, um, as, as parents, grandparents who are concerned about the well-being of our children, especially when it comes to their education. But the growing concern that we have for those who are Christians in the public school world about how challenging it's going to be for them. The, the name of the game, first and foremost, when it comes to education is making sure our kids get a good quality and I believe biblically based education. Public schools have become so woke and so uh, you know desirous of trying to be all things to all people that sometimes they're leaving parents frustrated, kids frustrated, and the pandemic was no cakewalk for teachers either. But now there's a crisis of conscience that's happening in the public school world that led one school principal to actually leave her job, leave her career as an educator and stay home and homeschool her kids. She has some very powerful insights as to why she made this decision. I want to talk about them coming up next as the bottom line continues. You know, I'll never forget the moment I met my grandson, Isaac. It actually wasn't in the delivery room. That was the first time I held him. But the first time I actually met Isaac was when I went with his mother to her ultrasound appointment, and the ultrasound technician showed us a picture of that eight-week-old baby in the womb. Uh, you know, I encourage you to contact Preborn right now and make a donation to provide that same experience for another family. Maybe there's someone in your family who's expecting a child right now. They've had the ultrasound. You've seen the picture. You've heard the heartbeat, and you think, wow, how can I bless someone else. Studies show that 83% of the women who go to a preborn clinic and see that ultrasound either choose to become mothers and raise the children on their own or release the child for adoption. It cuts the risk of it cuts the rate of abortion dramatically. But your donations are necessary right now to get more ultrasound machines into preborn health clinics. Give a gift online when you go to kbrightradio.com and click the banner that says preborn. Cute little baby there wrapped up in a blanket. Or give a gift over the phone. 833-850-BABY, 833-850-BABY, that's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn, make a donation. Every ultrasound machine could do 250 ultrasounds per year, so give a gift right now. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Happy Everyone Wednesday to you. We're still taking your calls at 800-227-5278. Climb Every Mountain and A Quiet Strength are the two books by Trudy Cathy White. We're giving away one copy of each. And uh, if we haven't picked our winners yet, so you still have a chance to get in on the drawings, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Mandy Davis made headlines recently. She's a mother of three children. She's also been a school teacher and a school administrator. And recently, at the end of the 2022 school year, she made a very difficult decision. The difficult decision was to leave the classroom, to leave the school campus, and to head home to become a teacher of her three children. Now, she graduated from college in 2008 and began her teaching career 
working her way all the way up through the ranks and eventually became a private school principal at a private school in Central Oregon. But over the course of, especially during the pandemic, she began to realize that uh, maybe the public school system wasn't best. And it wasn't so much necessarily a political decision, but rather it was just a question of whether or not this is the best way to go. She said, you know, when, when I got into education, I wanted to be, uh, literally, I wanted to work with as many students as I could. So first it was in the classroom, and then I became uh, an administrator because I thought, yeah, this is really going to help. But then she saw what was going on in the public school world, and so she thought, well, maybe it's better in the private school sector, and so she made that switch. But basically, once she got to the point where uh, she saw the benefits of private school versus public, in 2019, she moved her kids into private school. But then, of course, the pandemic hit in 2020, so then she decided to uh, move the kids to home education. Now, her youngest child is only 18 months old, but he'll be joining his siblings in the public school world, his two older sisters, when he's old enough. Here's what Mandy Davis said about her decision to start homeschooling her two daughters and eventually make homeschooling the choice for her son. Quote, I saw a lot of gaps in our school system, and I also watched the way the direction the schools were moving. I saw a recipe for disaster. Basically, she said it was not an environment that I thought promoted learning and promoted the life that I want my kids to experience. Here's the reason why she said it's a combination of student behavior and teacher shortages. Now, please notice that she did not say, I didn't like the curriculum. She didn't say, you know, political you know, ideologies were not lining up with where I was. She just basically said, I watched the behavior of the kids and I watched the shortage of teachers and the number of teachers who were leaving the industry and thought I need to make a change. It's interesting because she said, you know, by the time I became a principal and moved from public school to private school, I came to the realization that there are some deeper rooted issues throughout the system that can prevent even teachers today from doing their job. And ultimately, that's what I wanted to leave. Um, she said the inability to change outdated curricula and policies were some of the many reasons she left the traditional school system. In addition, she said, yeah, okay, the, there was an exodus of well-qualified teachers. I saw very little one-on-one -on -one instruction. And she said, yeah, gonna be honest here too, the political bias of the classroom discussions certainly had an impact. And I know having a couple of kids who are in the educational world as well, you hear that all the time. So many of the teachers are progressive, they're liberal, and it doesn't necessarily promote learning in the classroom. But here's the deal. When you look at the vacancies in the public school system, you begin to realize that, okay, it's a challenge. A lot of teachers I know, full disclosure, uh, during my time as interim campus pastor at Aliso Viejo Christian Church, I was also the pastor, if you will, for Aliso Viejo Christian School. School's been around for 25 years, excellent school. During the pandemic, we had several teachers who chose to leave private school where they really love the family and the community and move into the public school world. And the reason was pay better. You get in your late 40s, early 50s, and you're thinking I could teach for 10 or 15 years, build up a good pension, and off we go. But it's interesting to see the number of teachers who are leaving the profession, and it's really not about the money. 
I mean, when you think about it, between February of 2020 and May of 2022, the number of public schools, teachers, and other staff who left the teaching profession numbered 300,000. The Wall Street Journal reports that even after a big hiring spree and sign-on bonuses, et cetera, et cetera, remember that one Texas school district? I think it was in Austin where they offered a $2,000 signing bonus for new teachers. And because of a clerical error, every teacher in the Austin Independent School District got a $2,000 bonus. And now they're actually going out and saying, hey, about those bonuses, give them back. (laughs) I thought, wow, two grand doesn't seem like a lot of money, but if you have a lot of teachers, I get it. The majority of vacancies though, according to the National Center of Education Statistics, as of March, 2022, you know, there are some districts that had to lay teachers off because their enrollments were down. We get that. It is a business in that regard. Some teachers were old enough to qualify, like in, here in the People's Republic of California. Uh, retirement age, I believe, is 50. And we've had this conversation before. I know some people have said, hey, wait, it's not the way you described it. But you can retire earlier and you can qualify for a larger pension than you could when my parents were teaching. So I'll throw that out there too. But it isn't early retirement. It isn't school districts laying off. There's one key reason that has led to the majority of vacancies in teaching in the public school system. You'll never guess what it is, but I'll tell you on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to this Everyone Wednesday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, still taking your calls for just a few moments longer for both of the books by Trudy Cathy White that we're giving away today here on the bottom line and congratulations to everyone a copy of andy partington's book on hope for addiction we've got the book that trudy wrote about her mom called a quiet strength trudy kathy white the daughter of the founder of chick-fil-a and then also her devotional book uh climb every mountain 800-227-5278 just a couple minutes left to get in on those drawings 800-227-5278 the number to get you through to the bottom line We've been taking a cautionary tale about parents who have an influence, a quiet and maybe not so quiet uh, influence in this case, a woman called Mandy Davis, who started as a public school teacher in 2008. Uh, She's married, has a couple of daughters and now an 18 month old son born during the pandemic. And she became a private school principal. And at the end of the 2022 school year, she had already moved her daughters into private school she decided to homeschool them starting this year according to um, 
statistics from the National Center of Education Statistics, school districts nationwide have really had a hard time. So many teachers have jumped ship during the pandemic. 45% of public schools in America operate without a full teaching staff. 45%. A lot of teachers are burning out, according to Mandy Davis. She said, you know, teachers would move from public to private and then they'd quit. She'd say, the classroom isn't a safe place for me anymore. The classroom is not somewhere where I can do what I set out to do and to teach and have accountability over my own classroom. And as a matter of fact, with the 300,000 teachers who left the public school system uh, starting in 2020, only 165,000 um, are still remaining uh, after a big hiring spree last year. But the number one reason why teachers are leaving is not layoffs. It's not retirement. It literally is resignation. They're just saying, I've had enough. And another Merrimack College teacher survey did a study in January of this year, and they surveyed 1,200 teachers nationwide and asked them, if they think they would be quitting the profession over the next two years. And 33% said yes. Um, emergency licensing has been helping to solve the problem. But I'll tell you what, at the end of the day, the question parents have to ask is, is the public school or is even the private school the best environment for our children's education? And the way you ask that question and answer it. Basically, what Mandy Davis said is what I ask other educators who are thinking about leaving the profession to do is simply this. Lean into your family first. Think through what your children need. And if that need is being met, then, then it just becomes a personal decision. My hat's off to the men and women who listen to the Bottom Line Show, who are members of the Body of Christ, who teach in public schools. It has gotten tougher and tougher and tougher every day. And I say that as the father of one of my kids is teaching in the uh, public school system right now. It's very challenging for her. She's really literally the only one in her department, it's a big department at the school she teaches at, who holds to a biblical worldview and conservative values. But her influence is growing and she's needed there. And I'm grateful that she is there. I have a son who teaches in private school. I have another daughter who's teaching in uh, private university and the list goes on I've got a daughter who's working with uh, kids who are homeschooled it's amazing to see the number of people who are saying essentially the same thing though they're going at it different ways and the same thing is what is best for my child here's why I like that phrase because God so loved the world that he said what is best for my children what is best for my children is that I leave heaven, that I send my son, Jesus Christ, to leave his throne for them, to enter into the earthly space, to, for a temporary time, not make his deity the goal, but to be in, in human form to dwell with them, to show them how much I love them, so that we can see that God is in the redemption business. God wants what's best for his children. For our kids and grandkids, we have to do nothing less than that. We must do what is in their best interest, not because they want it, but because that's what God wants. That's the good news, and that's the bottom line.